Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, How to Sell Anything to Anyone, a problem-solving guide for sales managers, sales leaders, and salespeople. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod342. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I have been looking forward to speaking with today's guest since we first met a few months ago. She's the inventor and chief trainer at Extra Bold Sales, and she is a prolific author, speaker, and trainer. She's actually founded and co-founded a number of different organizations, including the Founders Compass, which is for entrepreneurs, and the B2B Sales Magic Club. So she's really focused on helping people and contributing. She's the author of How Good Humans Sell and host of the podcast, Conversations with Good Humans, which just recently launched and is excellent, highly recommended. She also volunteers in her community of Houston. She's a mentor and trainer in a lot of different organizations there. So welcome to the show, Katherine Brown. Thank you so much. I'm delighted that this date came around and that we get to visit more. Definitely. So I just introduced you with the, the highlights, the bullets, but I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. You know, I would describe myself, Elizabeth, as being consummate recruiter. And even when I think of selling, I think of recruiting because what I mean is inviting people to whatever it is. So I like to gather people. I like to build communities. I like Mm -hmm. to influence people for good in those communities. And that's where you see the bridge between the work and the personal. So for Mm -hmm. example, although I vocationally would describe myself as a sales professional, I have done a lot in equipping nonprofits to think about that other customer that they serve there, you know, nonprofits are started to serve a certain client. Let's say it's, you know, children with a reading program, the donors who Mm -hmm. give the board who serves, those are all our clients too, because we're giving them away to become a better version of themselves and a different version of themselves by their participation. And so I love to help people invite people to a sales conversation across for-profit and nonprofit because I think that selling activity is really on the side of it, it. We have to go through that to get everything we want. And so becoming better at it empowers everyone around us. That is such a great um, kind of summary because it, it really comes out. And when you look at the different things that you're involved in, I can see you create community all around you all the time. And something that I always love is when um, we at Criteria for Success also often work with not-for-profits. And as you said, it's a sale. And people a lot of times have what we at Criteria for Success would call head trash around the Mm -hmm. idea of sales. And so Mm -hmm. you start a foundation because you want to work with children and help children. And then you realize you're going to have to get money in order to do that. And it feels icky. You don't want to use the term sales because you think that it's, it's kind of dirty. It's, it's not okay. But if you want to do more work, if you want to help more kids, you have to get the funds to do that. And so I think a lot of people view it as maybe a necessary evil. They, you know, they kind of have to wash their hands a little, a little more carefully after, after they're involved in, in selling. And your work, which is focused on selling like a good human, right, is, is applicable 
whether you're selling B2B, selling, you know, technology services or anything like that, or you're getting a donation to your cause. And it actually kind of elevates the way we might think about sales from the the misapprehension that I feel like a lot of people have. Yes. And I can't believe how often I come back to this subject of reframing. Mm-hmm. I just spoke at a coaches conference, an executive coaches conference last weekend. And they, executive coaches, if anyone's hired a coach, which I think everyone needs a coach, love, love the coaching industry. It's all about looking at a current situation you're in and then looking at it from different sides, getting clear on what you want and reframing that opportunity slash challenge. And I think the same is true for fundraising, recruiting, selling, promoting. I read a quote, actually, I think you'll enjoy this. It was funny. It actually came out of a devotional that I had, but I I, I just wrote it down in my journal recently because it says, you believe what you say about yourself more than anyone, more than what anyone else says. Mm. So be careful with your words. Oh, that's let beautiful. Me, let me, let me read that again. You believe what you say about yourself more than what anyone else says. So be careful with your words. So a lot of what I end up doing in community with people is reflecting that back, highlighting, just illuminating. Are you noticing this, this unhelpful framing of what selling is because you don't have to adopt someone else's definition. You don't have to say always be closing or the purpose of every call is to, is to convince someone to buy. Just reject that. That doesn't have to be true. You could, you can, you can reframe what it means. And once you reframe what it means, just like anything else with coaching and personal and professional development, you have so much power. Absolutely. So I want to, I think, take a little bit of a step back to kind of start this journey, because as we've been talking about, you, you're focused on reframing and you write and talk about how good humans sell. And I'd love mm-hmm. to hear from you what drove your initial interest in that topic. Yes, thank you. Well, I have been in some form of selling my entire career after university. And when I had two little boys and I wanted to get off the road, I'd been selling technology consulting services for several years. And I had a sales territory that was several states big. When my when my boys were very small, like zero and two, and then you mm-hmm. know one and four and little, little, little. When they were tiny, I wanted to get off the road, but I wanted to keep working. And I realized that I was skilled at prospecting and cold calling. Mm-hmm. And I still would get nervous occasionally. Everybody gets nervous sometimes, but I was good at it. And I realized people would pay me to do it. And so this is all the way back in 2002. I realized I could go to people that I had sold with and worked with in different companies. And they would probably pay me to help generate leads for them. So I actually built a company that I had for 17 years and we prospected for other people. That's what we did. And what I found, Elizabeth, that was so interesting was that I kept believing people, and I'm saying this just kind of with a smile on my face, because I'd have a conversation and I'd give that person, that new prospect, that new potential client, you know, my full attention and I would listen to their story and they would be so earnest. They would say, 
you know, I have a great team. They've sold in this industry before. We just have a lead problem. We're early stage. We just got funding or we're launching a new product. We need some extra hands on deck. Whatever the situation was that made them think they wanted additional contract help, they would say, we just need leads. If you get us in front of the right people, we'll do Mm -hmm. well. And I kept believing them and believing them and believing them. And it just wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it wasn't true for dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of companies. I served over 200 companies over 17 years. And what would happen is if that person who was the prospect, who was the buyer, when they took that first sales call, if the timing wasn't such that they were immediately ready to move forward and the sales rep had to do any kind of follow-up, nurturing, additional trust building, additional qualifying, which was usually the case because we represented companies that had complex sales, mm-hmm. they would drop the ball. Yeah. They would just drop the ball. They would just, they would not follow up like they should. They would basically make up stories and say, you know, they must have, the prospect hasn't called me back. They must have changed their mind. They just, they just really lack skills in closing. And so as I thought through this, I thought, is the issue that they need more skills in closing? Is this about negotiating? Is this about qualifying? What is it? Well, I think people can always get better at those things. So I do a little bit of training around that, but I wanted to set out to test and believe, I believed that they were afraid. I I believe they were afraid to seem too pushy, that they were um, discouraged, that the reps were discouraged when the prospect didn't get back to them quickly and that they made up a story in that head, in their head with that, uh, like the quote I just said, you know, with that, that Mm -hmm. very powerful voice was saying, here's what's really happening and here's what's interpreting what's happening. And I believe that beliefs were the saboteur in those situations over and over and over again. So I set out to test that with surveys, uh, with, um, with research. And I did. And a lot of that data is in my book, how good humans sell, where I show that it's pretty impossible to build a team where people don't have some reluctance about the sales profession, because my research shows most people harbor some concern and fear about that. Mm. That's, that's so powerful. And that resonates so strongly, because I have to say, I've heard that same thing so many times, you know, and organizations spend a lot of money, whether it's by engaging an external partner like you were providing, whether it's, um, you know, spinning up uh, an inbound lead program, paying mm-hmm. for lists of leads, um, having an inside sales team, investing in technology, you know, AI to send nurturing emails and all these things with the assumption that if we just get a qualified lead, it'll close. And if that were true, I think we'd have a lot of, you know, multi-billion dollar companies out there that, that currently right. are not doing too well because it's, you know, they, they're getting leads and sometimes a, just a small change in close rate would provide a really significant, um, you know, change to the organization. So exactly, exactly. And, and just not giving up so soon. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm, being reductionist in how I'm saying this, but basically in every form, whether it's a corporate sales training program or my entrepreneur group coaching or whatever program it is, basically people pay me to tell them and remind them, don't make up a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't make up a story. You don't know what's happening. You need to look at the data of what has happened up until this point. So let's say that you give me a referral, Elizabeth, and you introduce us and we 
I say, I'll follow up with you and let's have a call. And the person says, great, here's my Calendly. And I go pick a time. And then they have that, that, that prospect has to reschedule. And then we get in a little bit of that chasing back and forth to get it rescheduled. I have to go back to the real data I had, which was that you said that was a good fit. And the person said, here's my Calendly. Mm -hmm. The space after that, where it became more challenging for us to connect, I don't know what's happening. Mm. I don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happening. No one knows what's happening. And I feel like people should intuitively understand this even more after the last couple of years, but they don't because the voice in their head is so powerful saying it's the spotlight effect. We think we're so worried and focused on what people are thinking about us. And the irony is the reason they're not getting back to you is because they're not thinking about you. <laughs> they're thinking about what they're dealing with. And so we have to persist and manage ourselves and frame this work in a way that we begin to deeply internalize that sales is a gift to them, that that conversation is, um, is powerful and important, and that that prospect has agency. If they don't want to move forward after we have the conversation, that's their decision. But if you decide for them by giving up too mm -hmm. soon, you essentially have robbed them of that opportunity. Absolutely. I, I really love that. We, we sometimes describe that as not attempting to be a mind reader because there's just this tendency to assume you know, I've been thinking about this prospect nonstop. And so if they're not getting back to the two emails I sent them each a week apart, then clearly they hate me. The world is ending. They don't yes. want to talk to me, but they have a job. Yes. Buying yes. your service is not their full-time job. They're doing other things. They have a family. Hopefully they've got a life. They have health issues. Uh, the number of people that I've spoken to over the course of COVID, as you said, if, if you don't know this after the last few years, I'm not sure what you've been paying attention to, but people who have just the most complex, um, busy living situations. I'm single. I have a cat. You know, my, my life is <laughs> reasonably simple enough. I've talked to people who are single parents of, you know, preschool twins. <laughs> it's like, what do yeah. you think is going on when they're and trying they're to buy school in there? A CEO, right? They run yeah. a business too. And exactly. Or I have a crazy example. I mean, I have, I'm building an in-person networking community in Houston right now. And one of the gentlemen that I just felt sure was going to be interested, and I purposely picked him because I knew we were like-minded, he'd be a great member of the group. He was hard to reach. And we just went back and forth a lot. And it was surprisingly difficult for me, given the nature of our relationship. And finally, he texted and told me this crazy story about how an employee had been injured. And he was had actually was at the hospital with the employee. Oh, wow. Like, it was so sweet. And he was... And he was attending to that, to that person who was in that moment, way more important than my conversation with him. Mm -hmm. Way more. I would make exactly the same choice if I were him. And so I, I like these crazy examples because this is actually going on all the time around us, but because we are insecure, because we think that spotlight is on us, because we're nervous, because we want to be seen as a good human, we don't want to be perceived as too pushy, we, we hold back. And I, I really like to make the case that it's really not a gift to hold back because most people will say, thank you for reminding me. I appreciate the nudge. Here's mm -hmm. what I've had been going on. I mean, that's what my experience shows. Absolutely. And you know, like you said, it's always a, a story. And what's funny to me is if I am slow in getting back to somebody, I know all the reasons 
that that's the case. I know how busy I am. I know that I was just, you know, had a, had a full day meeting with a client. But then if somebody is slow to get back to me, I don't grant them necessarily the grace to assume that they are busy and that they are doing other things. I think it must mean that they hate me. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing 100%. how we can attribute our own behaviors. We know why. We know the reasons. We know the excuses. And we justify. And then with other people, instead of justifying, we blame. And um, and then when it comes to sales, we know we can't blame them. So then it turns into self-blame. Clearly, I'm terrible. Clearly, I didn't present our solution effectively. And they don't want to talk to me. And they hate me. And my life is over. And, exactly. exactly. You know, it's a little bit over the top. But it's it's not all that different from what I hear from people sometimes. And it's as you said, this is just reframing can be a wonderful way just to to deal with this because it is just thinking about you know how could i look at this situation a little bit differently how could i still uh, i want to get back to this be a good human right you're not saying chase people down be obnoxious but i've had times where there was somebody like you said you know you're in conversation you seem like you're having a good relationship and they disappear and then come to find out you know, a week and a half later, they're like, oh my goodness, I was out and I didn't realize you had the wrong phone number yes. um, and not the cell that I bring when I'm out. And it's like, yes, well, yes. you know, <laughs> well, I, tell, I tell Elizabeth in the How Good Human Cell, I tell about a really big training opportunity I sold. And it's a true story. You know, of course, I changed all the names, but it's a true story. And the guy actually had another cell phone number. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have the super secret number. I had his other number. And when I kind of made the cut relationally, I got the super secret number. And I love that because people have, they, they do that. They have all their own ways that they manage themselves and their schedule. And um, he, it wasn't that he wasn't getting my messages. He literally was ill. And then he also said, basically, it's like we tell, um, I have, a, you know, my boys are, are men now. They're big. One still lives at home with us. And we always tell him if he needs us late at night, he's 19, he's out with friends late, we go to bed and we say, you know, you know that if you need us, you break through by calling twice, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is how you break through the do not disturb if you need dad or me. Well, that was the equivalent of that. It's like I hadn't earned the right to break through. Yep. I was in I was in the queue with all of the other things that he had to catch up on. And that's all it meant. It didn't mean anything until the timing was right for him. And, and he literally said, appreciate that um, I've been challenging to reach and I appreciate your persistence. It really shows me. I mean, in my case, especially Elizabeth, it's like, I'm going to teach sales training. I can't give up too soon because I have to model what it's going to look like. Right? <laughs> so he said, I really like that you kept going on that. Good. You know, well done. Well done. So um, I I feel like if your listeners take one thing from the call, it would be to say, try even one more time than you mm-hmm. naturally like to give up. You can alternate modes, right? You can, I like to send an email to ask for time. I like to have everything scheduled. I'm a very orderly schedule person. Mm-hmm. So I request meeting times because I want it on my calendar. So I send a meeting I send an email asking for a meeting and then I say what I'm going to do next. And if I don't hear from them, then I call text and mail, whatever would be another mode of operating based on the contact information I have. Then I try again, then I try again, then I try again. So I'm rotating the ways of the outreach and I'm rotating what I say in the outreach. And this helps me get to four, five, six, seven, eight times and not give up after twice. Absolutely. And like you said, that, that variety it's good for you because you don't feel like you're beating the head against the wall doing the same thing over and over and over. It's also beneficial because people check different 
you know, inboxes at different paces and frequency. And so you might get somebody. And as you said, and I really want to emphasize this because it's so important, people appreciate it. If they need what it is that Mm -hmm. you are going to be providing to them, if they're interested in working with you, they want you to be the driver of that process Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. They want you Mm -hmm. to move things forward. They don't know how to buy what you're selling. A lot of times they've never bought it before. Maybe this is something they only buy once. Maybe it's something, you know, their organization signs up for once every 10 years. And this is the first and only time that they're going to be involved in that. And if you just kind of hold off and wait for them, they'll stumble around and really slow the process down. As opposed to if you can come in and say, hey, here's what it takes to get this up and running. Here's what I need from you. Here's what I'll give you based on what you need from me. And then you follow up according to what you told them you're going to shorten the sales cycle and you're going to actually show up as a professional. And it's very different from that. Like if I have to chase somebody who's selling me, (laughs) that's not a, that's not a great look for them. And and I tend to not respect them very much. Exactly. And I think even to be okay with, let's say that, let's say that you have real data that for some reason you actually do have a a reasonable suspicion that they're going to go a different direction. So you might want to drop it off and and let it go because you don't want to hear that kind of bad news conversation. I feel like it's still so important to ask and not assume Mm -hmm. because even if you don't win right now, the information you get can be so helpful and it puts you in a position to be a trusted advisor still. Um, I'll give you an example. When I sell sales training to corporations, the size of sales companies that the, the size of companies that tend to use me, they usually are sales teams of fewer than ten people. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know how I got in that niche. I just <laughs> I did, and I, I that's not true. I've done a lot so much in startups that even when they grow, you know, it takes a while to scale beyond that. So I tend to serve a pretty small company that has an expensive product or service and that is Mm -hmm. a high-end b2b thing but they're just not fortune 2000 companies okay i'm telling you that because a lot of times whether they invest in sales training is actually a decision between some marketing campaigns other kinds of ways of promoting and growing the business or Mm -hmm. doing sales training and I believe in general that people will find money for whatever they think is important. So I am not saying to all the trainers out there, you know, that you're always in a bake off or that it's always an either or. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes for the money, if the person's very organized and has a budget that they really want to stick to, sometimes there's other things they'll do instead of working with me. And I want to know what those things are Mm -hmm. because I have been an entrepreneur for over 20 years and I have been, I have had formal marketing training and I've had tons of sales training and I give sales training and whatever it is they think they want. I probably know someone who can help them. And I really want to make that recommendation. Mm -hmm. So even when it seems like bad news, I always, I would need to close the loop and use the opportunity to be a trusted advisor because I really don't want them just to go out on Google and search people to build websites because I know tons of great website developers, some who write the copy, some who don't, some who specialize in certain platforms, some who don't, and some who are specialized by industry. And so I can make a very educated referral that's going to make them successful. And that also increases the likelihood that when the time is right, they'll come back to me. 
Absolutely. You know, investing in that relationship as opposed to being so focused on the one piece of business, because you can always get more business in future. But if you just walk away when they can't seem to afford you right now or when you're not the top of the priority list, what you're telling them is I only care about you if you can pay me right now. And instead, if you can provide whatever advice you can, you know, sometimes it might be an introduction. Sometimes it might be just, hey, uh, a lot of my clients in the past that have done that kind of initiative have made sure to think about, you know, X, Y, Z topic, whatever it might be. Just providing that advice, providing that that support, they know that you're thinking about them and that you care about them and you're not slavering after, you know, one, one potential deal, it's a lot less, um, it's a lot less fraught for them to then reach out to you in future when there is something, because they know that you respect them and you care about them and you're not just focused on the immediate next thing. Yes. In the big picture, you care about their prosperity overall, right? You Mm -hmm. care about their business overall. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you and I talked before we got on the recording about my new podcast that came out. And, you know, when you think about launching something new, um, this is something I've thought about doing forever and I'm just now doing. I, I launched my very first episode with someone who is very dear and precious in my circles in Houston, he's, he's well-known in, in, in peers I run with. He's not a nationally known famous person, mm-hmm. but I chose him because he's such an unlikely subject to be this trusted advisor, big picture, amazing person, because he understands that by being a good referral giver and caring about the whole business and not being transactional about this one sale, he understands that creates stickiness and value in lifelong relationships. And I just think he's, I think he's, I think Lawrence is a genius at it and want people to hear how understanding that you can always add value, even when the answer is not now, it is a key way to transform how you view sales relationships and reframe what selling is so you sell more comfortably. Absolutely. That just that idea of a not now is not a no. And, um, you know, a not now is not a I hate you forever. Never talk to me again. <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't mean um, push past your own comfort level and be obnoxious chasing somebody down if it's a not now it's it's being a real partner being a real um you know having a real relationship and and asking as you said you know what are the other priorities that are pushing this aside oh that makes sense that's that's a great initiative and i can see how if you complete that that will actually make us even more able to work together effectively. And here's some advice and some tips I have for you. Um, You know, I'd love to stay in touch over the course of the project. I'd, you know, be happy to, to jump in periodically if you have, if you have questions, because I've seen these initiatives a lot in the past, and then you're automatically queued up for once they're done to just slot right in for, for your, you know, basically phase two. And it's not, it's not selfish. It's not pushy. It's just being a, a partner, being a consultant, being an advisor. And it's it's a really natural way to build relationship long term. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that's so fun, too, is when you start working with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was thinking of a gentleman who I, I owe a call to right now because he's bought some things for me. And one of the services I have for my business, I thought, 
you know, I should give him my business in that, uh-huh. in, the, in, in reciprocity in this area. And it's not a, it's not a dollar for dollar transaction. Probably what I'll spend with him is still less than what he'll spend with me. It is a show of relationship, trust and faith and longevity that I would change providers Absolutely. for this service. So I, I literally woke up the other day and thought, I need to, I need to initiate that process because that is, that feels like the next right relationship thing to do. And, and he didn't even ask, I think eventually he would, but I just thought I'm just going to proactively do that because I'm showing I'm in this for, for, for as long as we're both working (laughs) really, right. However long we both go in, in, in our careers. Absolutely. And what you're also saying, and I think this is really important, you're saying that you believe that what he's doing is good work. And I think a lot of times it can be tempting to have clients that we don't really believe in and we're willing to work with them because they'll pay us, but we wouldn't want to pay them to do the thing that they do because we don't think they do a great job. And if you are willing to hire your clients what that tells them is I believe in you. And I think that what you're doing is valuable and I'm not just working with you for the paycheck, but I wanna see you succeed because I really believe in what it is that you that you provide to the market. And that's a really powerful message to send because it, it again positions you, you're not just a vendor, but you're truly a partner. Because a vendor doesn't care if you have kind of a garbage business, so long as you can pay them. <laughs> They'll take your money, but a partner really wants to be a part of building something and growing something together. Great point. Yes. Okay. I'm making that call today. (laughs) You didn't do it today. You have a few days and thought this, this would, that'd be the, that would be the right next thing to do. And I, um, I'm going to make that call today. Wonderful. All right. Something that I know you also focus on, and it's a little bit of a pivot, but not really, because I think this this builds on everything we're talking about. I know you're working on kind of aspirational identity, cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. and something that we spoke about last time we talked is the idea that we pretend we don't know things. Yes. And we're pretending, I think, sometimes to ourselves and sometimes to others. Can you explain that topic a little bit? Because I think our listeners might really resonate with where, where they might be doing that on occasion. Sure, sure. So one of the things that I'm researching right now and thinking about writing about next is this idea of it's, it's broadly you know, how people change and what keeps us from changing. Mm. And so I'm imagining that topic in a kind of a professional development and personal development sphere a little bit broader, and then there'll be applications to sales. Mm-hmm. It, it, it comes up all the time in training I give and coaching calls because it has to do with how a person expects to learn. Mm-hmm. It has to do with whether you, how you treat failure, um, whether you learn from that, what you think it means about you as a person. So is this an indictment about me or is this about actually the human experience? And I can take what I can take from that and move forward. I'm very curious about why some people seem to be able to grow and evolve and change more easily than others. There is a lot of research on this already. I feel like this idea of seeing yourself in this new identity of where I'm trying to go, I feel like there's still work to be done in that space. Um, So a couple things that I can share with the listeners, I think will be helpful is that um, one is that we want to understand that everybody has bias. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that, you know, I know in in the news and culture and some circles, you know, that word carries a certain connotation. What I mean it in the, 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 the realm of sales is that as a human being, I automatically and non-consciously go look to prove what I think is true. And I selectively evaluate the information that's given to me to say it's true. Absolutely. So, so you can't grow if you don't notice that you do this because what happens is you, otherwise you'll get stuck in this unhelpful feedback loop. It's sort of like curating a Facebook feed and having only certain information come to you and then thinking that somehow that represents the views of the whole world. It's like, that can't be true because that's not the function of social media. Social media's function is to get you to buy and to do things. So it's feeding you information that you already have clicked and shown you believe. But what's so crazy, Elizabeth, is our brain does that. Mm -hmm. So how does this matter in selling? Well, if I want to get better at sales, then I have to notice that I am making up a story. I have to look around and say, is what I'm believing true? Do I have external evidence? Like, do I have an email that says that or a voicemail that says that? Or um, what, what, what do my clients say about me? What's objectively true from other people's perspective? And I have to take all that information to reframe what I decide is an accurate picture of what's happening because we all like to be right. And so we will even argue for being right when it doesn't serve us ultimately. Absolutely. It's so funny because um, just that idea of, of all that story and all of that just kind of fluff around what's really happening, what somebody really said. I think of how often I talk to managers and they'll say, my sales rep came back from a call and they're just like, oh, I, I really think that they're going to buy. And they have a lot of kind of wishy-washy things felt good and they seem to like me. And that's important, certainly. But what did they say? What mm-hmm. did they do? What's mm-hmm. the next step? Oh, there mm-hmm. isn't a next step. Hmm. <laughs> I feel That's like that might right. not be closing right. today. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think, so it's a good opportunity for us to say, you know, I don't think it's all about the psychology. I do think some good processes matter because when I hear that story you just gave, it makes me think, gosh, that's why you want to have you know, kind of some, almost some litmus paper, you know, to test that against where you say, am I sure I'm talking to a buyer? Do I understand how they're going to make a decision? Do I understand the architecture of all the people who are part of this decision? Do I understand what their motives and values are? There are objective qualifying criteria that every rep can learn to memorize to navigate. And mm-hmm. that is a sales process skill. That is something that everyone can learn. I think that my experience going back to the B2B lead generation business that I had is that in a vacuum, training on those things is not enough because of the self-talk, the story, the confirmation bias. And so um, the beliefs part of working on reframing what selling is, as well as what does that rep believe is possible for them to enjoy? I mean, a lot of people have artificial barriers about how much money they think they deserve to make. Mm -hmm. They have certain expectations about what success means or doesn't mean. And and if you don't get into some of that about what they really want out of the job in your management of them, then that's another place that the beliefs can get in the way because we will accidentally, uh, I don't want to use the word accidentally. Let Let me say that again. We will automatically and sometimes non-consciously do things to keep ourselves at the same level because we think we've already arrived. Absolutely. 
It's, it's interesting as you were talking, I was thinking of a client I had in wealth management, and this was a few years ago. And for them, there was something that they had to determine in their interview and hiring process, which was very much related to people's unconscious feelings about money and about wealth. Mm. And if you, and we see this in a lot of other um, companies as well, if you subconsciously think our service is too expensive, our product is overpriced, that is behind the scenes. It might be very subconscious, but that's a salesperson who's going to offer discounts. They're going to be very hesitant to propose a comprehensive solution. And underneath all of it is, I don't see the value in what we do. And if you're just constantly addressing, why are you discounting? Why are you discounting? Here's our discount process. You're not following it. And and focused so much on the what and not the why, you could be really missing out on maybe this is somebody who really doesn't get what we do. They don't really see the value in it. Um, and that could be because maybe they see things you don't about a deficiency in your offering, or maybe they just have never experienced it. They they have, you know, something that that's different in their minds, whatever the case might be. You're not going to be able to change the the result unless you can really address what do people actually think. I know it. This kind of comes full circle. Let's move back to language. It's mm-hmm. why when I hear someone say that's a lot of money, it's such an important conversation to have because it's always that statement is always needs to be followed up by compared to what? Mm-hmm. Because it's contextual, right? It's about the value of the offer as well as just the their culture, their environment, their their motives, their values. And as a seller, or the so whether you're a full-time account management person or a business development rep, or you are the owner seller and you are the salesperson for your company, recognizing that again, we all have these limits which we can't help we can't help but have because it's how you grow up. It's, it's mm-hmm. just part of growing up in you know in the world. You are influenced by family and culture and media and all these things. And it all comes in our brain and we come, come with our whole self to that work. And once you recognize I might not be right, I have limiting beliefs that are affecting me. Then when you catch yourself even saying something like that, Oh, that's a lot of money. Then you can train yourself to coach yourself and to notice what it might mean that you say that. Um, it could lead to discounting, like you're saying. It could lead to um, to th- literally the way you present. It could lead to how much you initiate. It could lead to which accounts you'll go after because mm-hmm. maybe you stay on the smaller side so that you never have to offer the full enterprise solution because this these smaller companies only buy certain you know certain applications or something like that. There's so many implications, and so it's why I love I love this topic of social science research and psychology and why we do what we do, because when we dive into some of these concepts, we can just get so much better and then we can get what we want out of a full rich in every way, not just financially, you know, but a full rich, rich in every way life and selling a lot of products and services is a meaningful way to get there. (laughs) It's part of the equation. Absolutely. And and just to break it down to, to real basics, if you're selling something that solves a problem, people have problems 
and you are helping them. And you, you mentioned this really early on. And it, the problem that you might solve might be that somebody doesn't have enough excitement in their life. It might be mm-hmm. that somebody isn't having enough fun. It doesn't have to be that, you know, you're a plumber and you fix it when people's pipes are exploding, because certainly right. that is that is a problem that is very easy to solve for. You know, not easy, but it's, it's clear to know what you need to do. But whatever it is, if you can understand and reframe for yourself the real value behind what it is that you provide, as, as you've said a couple of times, the first person that needs to really understand that is the person who's selling. Yes. And then you can only help a prospect discover your solution if you really believe in it yourself. Yes. And I think, and I don't believe you have to be a user of that thing. You just mm-hmm. need to understand the motives and values of that ideal client. And so um, I tell in How Good Humans Sell, I talk about how I worked with this fuel injection system part company. And I am not a car hobbyist. I am um, always on alert for that ethical mechanic because I would be the woman they could take advantage of because I don't want to know about that. It does not interest me. I don't care about cars. Same. (laughs) I really, really liked this client. And it was such a joy for me to see their call center people and their execs and everybody who are they, they, they loved serving car hobbyists because when you put in certain parts and you tinker with your car and then you go race with your friends on the weekend, that wasn't about just the part in the engine. That was about the way you spend time with your family and friends and how you travel and how you build community and how you spend your leisure. There was identity that was tied to being a car person and not just the thing. And so what Ever that product or services we sell, it's a thing that leads to something bigger. And when we understand that, that why it matters, that also is a, there's, that's more juice for our engine, you know, pun intended, to like selling more because we understand that it is valuable to that ideal client. And that's very gratifying to do work of connecting the right people with the right products and services. I really love to do that. Absolutely. I think most people like to solve problems. They like to contribute. They want to feel that they're doing good in the world. And so if you can have that strong connection, like you said, you might not be the ideal buyer for what it is that you're selling. But if you understand how it helps other people and and you really truly believe that, as you said, it's it's going to change the way you approach things completely. Yes. Oh, I have so loved our conversation today, Catherine. I feel like we could t- keep talking forever and ever and ever because there's there's just so much here. But I think we'll just have to bring you back at some point um, to keep talking. Before we wind down, though, a question I always like to ask our guests is, do you have any resources you could recommend for our listeners? This could be somebody who inspired you, um, a book, a talk, uh, anything else like that. Um, and certainly if you have any resources of your own in addition to your book, um, you're more than welcome to share those as well. Sure. Thank you. So one of the things that I did coming out of the pandemic that uh, I realized was that whereas a lot of people were making sourdough bread and uh, deciding they were going to go get an RV and homeschool and go see the country, I didn't do that. I have a few staff members and I look back and I think I was running pretty scared. I needed to reinvent some of my higher ticket offers to pivot and, and serve people in a different way during that time. And I worked really, really hard the first 18 months of the pandemic too hard um, in the sense of like lack of harmony with other aspects of my life. And so one of the things I did when I took a vacation last summer, as I 
scheduled, worked it out with clients, planned to be gone, took a couple weeks off. And I decided I was going to use that to overhaul my whole schedule and routine. And I have been following rooms on social media apps and had read blogs and heard podcasts talking about the miracle morning. I had never read it. And so this, there's a book that's been out for a number of years now. The author is Hal Elrod, E-L-R-O-D. And I wanted to read the miracle morning because, but I had been waiting on purpose because I knew it was going to rock my world in thinking about my routine. And I just wasn't really ready up until that moment. I was like, I know this is going to create call to action and it's going to invite me to think about my whole life and schedule and day and week differently. And am I ready to do that? So I finally was ready and I um, adopted a lot of the principles in the book about having a morning routine. And that involves exercise and journaling and visualization and reading, ongoing edu- you know, self-education. And I just can't recommend the book enough because I think he does such a good job. If you're hearing me on the podcast and you're thinking, I know you're going to tell me I have to have a two hour routine and I just can't do that because I have a three-year-old or whatever Mm -hmm. the reason is. That's fine. I mean, he doesn't say that actually. He shows how you could spend five minutes per item that he suggests you cover as a way to launch your day. And, and, and you, you have a lot of freedom about how you implement it. And I think it's meant to look for different seasons of life. The application of the ideas can look different. I just, I just can't tell you how much, good it caused me to think about how I was running my day as an entrepreneur and to take total responsibility for every meeting, every appointment, my whole schedule. And so if you're listening, you're thinking, I don't have time to do that. I really want to challenge people, you know, in a, in a loving way to say, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure that's true? Um, are you, are you sure you don't have time for self-care? Are you sure you don't have time to begin your day getting focused on that, that identity of what you are moving toward? Like, what are my goals and what do I want? Reviewing those and having a routine that you set up for your own self-care is really, really, really important. And so I just can't recommend it enough. I am constantly evolving my routine. I'm not fixed on it. It's very, it's very, um, um, dynamic, how I'm practicing, but I do feel like I'm in a much better place about my own investment and self-care than I was six, eight, you know, 12 months ago. And so I feel really happy about that. Want other people to have that resource. Definitely. That's such a wonderful and powerful recommendation. I think um, the topic of burnout has, I think, fortunately become a bigger part of our, our overall work conversation. And it's just so easy as a founder, as a leader, as somebody who's really passionate about what you do, to just put your head down and work yourself to the bone. And mm-hmm. it's actually, it's not good for you. It's not good for your clients because eventually you're going to hit a wall and much better if you can, you know, find time to, to reset. I love that idea though, of waiting to read it until you knew you were ready to adopt it. I think sometimes we, we read a book that gives us advice that we're not ready for, yes. and then we just forget it immediately. So yes. putting yourself into the mindset of, I am going to adopt a version for this that works for me in the season of life I'm in is a really great way to approach it. 
Great. Yeah. And you're making me want to reread it because I, I think it probably is a resource that you, we all have those resources that we have our shortlist. We think I need to read this every couple of years to, mm-hmm. um, to, to reapply. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad you feel that will resonate with people. It's been super empowering for me to decide. No one's going to decide this for you, Catherine. This is, this is up to you to decide how you want to live and who you want to be. And it's been a lovely experience of taking more responsibility without it feeling heavy handed. Definitely. I think we've all implemented processes that didn't work because they felt so heavy handed. It felt like you were kind of (laughs) twisting yourself into a process that wasn't right for you. Right. Right. We're anti heavy handed, right? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Well, um, I know I've so enjoyed our conversation and so enjoyed getting to know you. And I'm sure many of our listeners would like to get to know you as well. So if they want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Thank you so much. I have two websites. If you go to extraboldsales.com, E-X-T-R-A-B-O-L-D, that is my corporate sales training and my offers for B2B sales coaching and classes. I also have a book slash speaker site, which is the name of my book, which is How Good Humans Sell. And if you would like to have me speak on the topic or see my podcast or some of my favorite podcasts I've been on, um, that's all about the, the, the speaking and the content. That would be another place you could go as well. So thank you. Wonderful. Well, thanks again so, so much for being with me today. I really, really appreciate your time, Catherine. Talk to you again. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything Catherine and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 342. If you enjoyed the show today, please, please, please recommend this to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that wherever it is that you're listening right now. That way you get every new episode without having to hunt it down. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or your player of choice, or you can email us if you've got any direct feedback, questions, guest suggestions. You can email podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!